All right, well, um, here we have um, uh, Pastor Kyle. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us. And I'm going to try and uh, maybe bring this a little closer on Stephen, maybe better. Oh, am I okay? But I'm going to turn, turn to him so, I'm not, so I can... Hello there. But anyway, um, uh, I, I so appreciate you coming and being with us and taking the time out of your busyness. I know... You, your, your pastor where? Uh, associate pastor at Kahului Church of the Nazarene. All right. Yeah. And what do you do as associate pastor? Uh, well, I, I run the youth program is yeah. my, my first priority. And then uh, fill in for pastor wherever he needs me. So, oh, right on. You know. Yeah, right you, on. Utility guy. Utility, washing the bathrooms, cleaning the bathrooms, yeah. whatever it <laughs> is, yeah. the floors. Yeah, I know. I was associate pastor for 13 years yeah. at a Calvary <laughs> Chapel, so... I know what that's like. Now I just tell everyone else to do it. No, yeah, no, I yeah, still yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nah, it's still part of the s- service, right? Yeah. I mean, the word uh, minister in, in the New Testament really means servant, mm-hmm. you know, and that you're always serving. So I know you're a great servant. Thank mm-hmm. you for coming and oh, thank you for serving us you. here tonight. And I'm excited yeah, to be here together. One more thing just to kind of get to know you. I think uh, I never asked last time you are here with us, but... Tell us about, uh, you're married, right? Yeah, yeah. How many years have you been married now? Eight years. Eight yeah. years. That can't be a question. Is she listening yeah, online? Yeah, no. Like no. <laughs> forever. More than eight. No, Zeke is seven. Yeah. And that's your son? Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel is my son, and uh, my daughter will be born any minute now, any day. So. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> and you're here with us, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, if you get the phone call, you got to yeah, go. We, yeah, we under- totally off. understand. I, I won't judge you and you're leaving us all like alone. <laughs> no, 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 no worries. But that's awesome. Congratulations, thank guys. You, thank you. How old is uh, Zeke? He'll be seven in February. Seven. Or, oh, yeah, you said that, right? Yeah, yeah. oh, well, so awesome. He'll, he'll be uh, almost exactly seven years older than his sister. Oh, so. wow, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that maybe they'll have the same birthday. Then you could do yeah, two and one. Her, her due date is two days from his birthday. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, then it'll be close. Yeah, <laughs> awesome, awesome. Right on. Well, well, thank you again being with us and sharing a little bit of you. And um, I'm, you know, this won't be the last time either. Oh, we had, yeah, we no, had no. you a couple months ago, and I kind of predict that we'll only get so far in this fascinating just history of of the Christianity in Hawaii, you know, with the revival in the 1800s. And I know we talked a lot about the pre-beginnings, you know, of, of those who were on the mainland and got saved and brought the missionaries over. And, and I want to talk about that too, kind of transition into how uh, the Hawaiians got saved, you know, once mm-hmm. they came over. Uh, but first of all, you know, I was, I was praying today, I was thinking about just to put in our minds how awesome God is, yeah. that he wants to save us, yeah. you know. And anyone here or you online, you know, understand if you don't know Jesus Christ, this is his heart. He wants to reach us. He wants to save us. He wants to bring us into this relationship with God. And I always like to think about how it's not a ritual that we do. Yeah, we don't just, oh, we come church, sing our songs, do our prayer, uh, read our scripture, and then pow and go. But it's a real living relationship we have with the Lord. And it's all only through Jesus Christ yeah, and His atonement for our sins on the cross. Yeah. And, and I think what's awesome is that God brought the gospel, brought that, yeah. that to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this, this scripture, just thinking about no matter you know, how bad we may be or no matter how far away we may seem like, Probably, you know, back then, yeah, from the mainland of Hawaii was like far away, yeah. But no matter what, in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Mm-hmm. And, and it, I was just thinking about how God is mighty to save. And I think in what we find what happened in history is a testimony to God's mighty power to save the Hawaiian people and, and, and bring them to Christ. So anyway, with that said, um, let, 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 let's talk about, like last time we talked about um, Henry 
Opukahohia, right? Yeah, Opukahia. Yeah, and uh, Thomas Hopu, yeah. and how they are instrumental in influencing the, the missionaries. And then, mm-hmm. so, you know, Henry got sick, passed away, but Thomas was there. Thomas, yeah. Yeah, on the boat, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, with the missionaries coming over. So on that first boat, can, maybe we'll, we'll transition or overlap here from last time. Uh, along with uh, Thomas, um, there was a couple other Hawaiians, right? Yeah, and actually, that's one of the artifacts I did bring. Did I, I showed you guys that one last time, didn't I? Maybe. Uh, no matter, even if he did, uh, we like to see him again, because <laughs> once isn't enough, right? <laughs> so um, this artifact here, this is the sermon that was delivered at Goshen, Connecticut, at the ordination of... Reverend Hiram Bingham and Asa Thurston, you guys will recognize those names as the co-leaders of the first sanctioned ABCFM missionary voyage to Hawaii. This comes from September 29th, 1819. That's right before the missionaries leave for Hawaii. Uh, But what's most interesting is that on the back, um, clearly listed as native teachers, John Honoli'i, Thomas Hopu, and William Kanui. So this is, the, um, this is the evidence that proves that the first bringers of the gospel were native Hawaiians. And I say that because they spoke the language. Who did all of the communicating when the first missionaries came? It was the native Hawaiians that were able to speak the language. So here's the hard evidence that, um, yeah, the native Hawaiians, Kanaka Maoli, were the ones that actually brought the gospel. So not only inspired by the life of Opukahaia, um, but actually delivered to uh, the Kingdom of Hawaii by Thomas Hopu and William Kanui and uh, John Honolii. Well, they didn't smell it that way, though, huh? Yeah, so uh, (laughs) we actually just had this discussion. If you go back to 1819 or 1820, you'll find every single one of the Hawaiian words is what we would consider misspelled now. But you need to remember that there was no Hawaiian alphabet. There was no written form of Hawaiian language at that time. So when we published the memoirs of Thomas Hopu, uh, we get a little bit of flack because we used H-O-P-O-O. And people always say, well, that's not how you spell Hopu. Well, that's actually his signature that we just took and put on the cover of the book. Because at the time, there was no Hawaiian written alphabet. So that was how he spelt it. And you'll see these names spelt differently than, than how we would spell them you know, at the University of Hawaii now. But uh, these names are written before there's a written form of the Hawaiian language. So it's, it's actually cool because it, when you see the words written with R's and, and spelled differently, then you know what era it came from. And more often than not, when you see uh, Kamehameha written in the old documents, it's Tamehameha. And even Liho Liho, more often than not, is Riho Riho. So, you know, the, the language has evolved over time. But that's the explanation for why the Hawaiian words are different. That's interesting. Oh, so probably they, they learned the English yeah. over there. Yeah. And then that was just the way they... They just tried to write, write their names. Because yeah. 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 the alphabet, seven letters, yeah, came later. The, 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 the piapa. Yeah. The, the Hawaiian alphabet was actually... Um, the, Eng- the translation was developed by Henry Opukahaia. So he creates the first uh, alphabet for the Hawaiian language. And then also uh, he translates the book of Genesis. Wow. And in the national archives, uh, they have it listed in their, English, uh, in their index, two copies of the book of Genesis that's written by Henry Opukahaia, but they just can't find them because there's like 300 million um, documents in the archives. So it's kind of hard to... But you're looking. We're trying, yeah. We'll, we'll buy them if we can. <laughs> By um, the way, um, your website again, I forgot to mention that. The website, yeah. uh, can you mention that? Um, where they could find a lot of this information? Yeah, com, And uh, we got a bunch of stuff on there. We just, we try to post the monthly newsletters and it's a pretty cool time to be in the islands because nearly every week there's a new document or a new, you know, something that we find. Um, now that um, 
the Hawaiian language newspapers are able to be translated and people have access to the state archives and the Mission House Museum archives. We're learning a whole lot more uh, about, about the Christian era of Hawaii. So pretty good time to be around. Well, some of this, I mean, you could look at this later after the service. Um, I'm sorry, but this is bothering me. It's like crooked. You know? yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. One, so, one yeah. thing that makes us different is that we, uh, uh, our goal is to keep the museum exhibit mobile. So rather than you flying to Iolani Palace or to the Mission House or to um, Bishop Museum, on our website we have uh, a place where you can request a presentation and we'll actually bring um, the artifacts to whatever group we're speaking to. So oh, praise that's the kind Lord. of our Yeah, th- our yeah thank you. You know, we don't have to go. He brought it to us so we can look, actually look at these, these things now. Awesome. So it's okay. It's crooked. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nah. So, so uh, back to on the boat was the three guys. Yeah, and, and more than three. Um, but those three, uh, all classmates at the um, foreign mission school, um, but they came as native teachers. But down below, uh, you'll also see as a, just a member of the, of the voyage, George, it says Tamori. That's... Uh, Humehume Kaumoli'i, the son of King Kaumoli'i of uh, Kauai and, and Ni'ihau. They call it Atui back then. So that's why you see George Tamori, uh, the king oh, of Atui. Yeah, I heard about so Kaumoli'i had sent his son Humehume away to America when he was a small child. Through the grace of God, he ends up returning to Hawaii on the first missionary voyage alongside his, his uh, Hawaiian buddies that he had been in school with up at the foreign mission school. Sadly, uh, Humehume never um, converts to Christianity, and he's, he's one of the, um, he resists the mission oh. all the way up until his death. So he does return uh, to Hawaii on the same ship, but he is not listed as a native teacher. But his story is absolutely fascinating. He's basically lost abroad in America for several years, living on the streets, kind of just scratching a living. At that time in America, probably you know, considered very uh, lowly like any other minorities back then. So really like a terrible childhood. And then uh, he realizes that he can get food and shelter if he joins the military. So he joins the Marine Corps, I think at 13 years old. Uh, And this is all before he uh, ends up at the foreign mission school with the other Hawaiian boys. So by the time he ends up um, meeting Opukahaia and Hopu and Kanui and Honoli'i and all these boys, in Connecticut, he's probably already suffering from PTSD. He's probably, you know, things that we know about now that, that they definitely didn't know about back then. But he had a uh, very dramatic uh, childhood. And then after he comes to the foreign mission school, that's where he, act, he learns that he's the son of the king of Kauai. Up until that point, he has no idea who he is. He doesn't speak Hawaiian. He doesn't know anything about being Hawaiian because he's been raised in the mainland. So it's actually Kanui and Honoli'i that tutor Humehume on how to, to um, speak Hawaiian. And they tell him, you're going to need to learn how to speak your language because when you get back, you're going to inherit the throne of Kauai and, and Ni'ihau. At the time, Kamehameha had, they didn't know what was happening back home. They didn't know if the islands were all unified or what was, what was happening. So they begin to teach him Hawaiian and... Uh, there's actually a story where he, when he finds out that he's a li'i, he starts to get a little arrogant and he, he starts to boss the o- older boys around because he's the youngest one. And uh, he tells, I, I think, don't quote me on it, but I think it's Kanui and Humehume tells him to go to the store and get him something. And he's like, you know, no, you go get it. And he says, um, when we get home, you'll smart for this. <laughs> Like back when I'm on the throne, you know, you're going to be, oh, yeah. you're gonna be yeah. in trouble. Oh. Um, so then he does return, and despite marrying a missionary daughter, he, he never becomes a devout Christian. And after the death of his father, Kaumuali'i, um, Ka'ahumanu takes his ivi and buries him in a Christian funeral in Waine'e, in Waiola Church in Lahaina. That's seen as such a, you know heresy by Humehume that he 
um, rallies his supporters and plans an attack on Honolulu. He wants to go after Liholiho. So he wants to liberate his king. He wants to be the king of Hawaii. And um, he has a lot of support on Kauai because he is the, he is the heir to the throne. But Kalanimoku, who's on Niihau, hears about this mutiny and he comes over and stops Humehume from invading um, Oahu and uh, shoots the horse out from under him, you know, like the man from Snowy River. And then Humehume uh, runs through the, the mountains of Kauai first. So there's a dispute on how much time, weeks, days, but he escapes into the mountains. His wife and his child are taken back to the camp. And finally, when Kalanimoku and his troops do find Humehume uh, in the forest, he's sitting on a stump, he just gives up. And his final request is that he be killed uh, in the old ways and his, his uh, Eevee be hidden away and treat him like a, old, like a Hawaiian of old. And instead of do, doing that and just killing him on the spot, Kalanimoku takes off his own royal feather cloak and walks over to Humehome and drapes it over his shoulders and says, live. At the time, Kalanimoku, who was Kamehameha's, uh, one of his head war generals, he's now a converted Christian. And so he spares the life of Humehume. And Humehume returns to uh, Oahu, where he's placed under um, house arrest. And he's allowed to walk the streets of Honolulu, and he, he later dies of influenza. So. Wow. But uh, he is on the document as well. And really, I, 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 as sad as his story is, I, I like the story yeah. because if you know who uh, Kalani Moku was up until his conversion to Christ, the chances of him sparing uh, the enemy of Kamehameha is very slim. Wow. So uh, that's the power of, of uh, Christ in somebody's life. You know? Amen. How about the, uh, what, which missionaries was on that first boat? Oh, yeah, they're all, they're all listed. This is the original batch. Um, Hiram Bingham, Asa Thurston, Daniel Chamberlain, Thomas Holman, he's actually the, um, the doctor. He doesn't last long on the mission. Uh, Samuel Ruggles, Elijah Loomis, he's the printer, right? He's the one in Lahaina Luna printing out all the, the stuff that we talk about all the time. Uh, and then the Hawaiians. And then, of course, uh, the wives, uh, Mrs. Bingham, Thurston, uh, Sybil, uh, Lucy Goodall, uh, Jerusha Chamberlain, um, Mercy Partridge, Nancy Wells, and Maria Startwell. So, yes, there you had to be. Um, you had to be married to be a missionary in the ABCFM. The first ever single woman missionary in the ABCFM history uh, was Betsy uh, Stockton, who was also a freed African American slave and first freed slave school teacher in Hawaii. So she was the first missionary that was allowed to enter the ministry as a single woman. Isn't that oh, amazing? Wow. wow. So Hawaii was very, uh, and the ABCFM, they're very progressive for their, their time in history. Yeah. What does ABCFM stand for? Uh, American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions. Okay. okay. <laughs> That's why we say ABCFM. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I was reading that too. You'll see it on everything. Yeah. You know, ABCFM, ABCFM. That yeah. ABCFM was... Uh, Started by uh, Samuel John Mills Jr., who's a member of the famous Haystack Prayer Meeting, uh, the founder of American Bible Society, the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions. The guy was like, he was the man. Yeah, wow. adopted brother of Henry Opukahaia. Uh, yeah, all of those things. So. Wow. So um, this first boat with these guys on it, mm -hmm. where did they land? Uh, they land on the Big Island. That's where they first come ashore. Yeah. So um, there's actually, if you go to Hawaii Island, there's a place that they call the uh, the Plymouth Rock of Hawaii, and you know we can argue about that name later. <laughs> um, but that's where that's where the first missionaries landed. But they would have anchored offshore and spent some time. You don't just pull up and come straight ashore. There's, there's ways that you uh, announce your arrival and things like that. So they would have spent some time, and it's, it's actually the native Hawaiians that go ashore uh, and figure out what's going on. 
And Hopu comes back to the boat, and he's the one that announces that the kapu is dead, and so is Kamehameha. And that was all news to them. Because when they left, they, they thought they were coming to a Hawaii that was ruled by the all-powerful King Kamehameha the Great, who was a devout advocate for the kapu system and kuka ilimoku. And they were prepared to enter into that. That's what makes it even more crazy. Is that Hopu, Kanui, Honolii, these guys knew what life was like back in Hawaii. Don't forget Hopu and many of these boys had been orphaned or you know their families had been murdered. They were willing to come back to Hawaii with the gospel thinking that that was a society that they were coming back to. Because of God's divine intervention, the death of Kamehameha and the abandonment of the kapu system all happens while they're in route. Yeah, that's amazing. Lucky it wasn't a six-hour flight. I mean, lucky it was a six-month trip because in that, that time, God did some amazing things. Not that He killed Kamehameha, but when Kamehameha dies, the kapu system is abandoned by the ruling authority and the high priests. And when the missionaries show up, that's what they're welcomed by, this religious vacuum. Well, what, what are the people believing? What should the people be believing? And keep in mind that um, the belief was that if the kapu was abandoned, you would die, that the gods would strike you dead. So when the ali'i start eating, you know, men and women eating together, and the kapu is abandoned, and Heva Heva starts burning the, the heiau of kuka'ilimoku, and people aren't just dropping dead on the spot. It kind of releases a little bit of its stronghold on the people. Now, the boys in America, they probably already came to terms with the kapu not being that powerful because they see men and women eating together every day. They eat with women every day, mm -hmm. and they eat whatever they want. There's no restrictions on what they can or when they can and all these things. So in their minds, they've already seen the shackles of the kapu fall off. But for the people that are, are in Hawaii and still wedded to those beliefs, it takes some amazing acts of the ali'is, the, uh, the ali'i to, to show that the power of the kapu was no more. Mainly, uh, keopuolani, ka'ahumanu, liho liho, you know, when they eat together at a public occasion, you know, a state dinner, that's a declaration that the, the kapu is not to be respected anymore. That all happens before the gospel arrives. This is when you talked about, you know, God making a way. God is the one that, that does the... Who gets the credit? The missionaries, the Americans, the Hawaiians, the Ali'i? No, the Holy Spirit gets the credit. Amen. These things can't happen the way they happen uh, unless God is behind it. So, so the, um, just a little bit about the kapu system. So mm. men and women can't eat together. Yeah, just... And certain foods women can't eat. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, what was that? Just a very legalistic, uh, very strict caste system. Uh, and just, I mean, not completely unlike uh, Hebrew culture, right? Just things that you could not do. Um, and so, yeah, very restrictive. Men and women not together. Um, the, the caste system really controlled society. So if you were uh, a li'i, you were above the other castes, but inside of the ali'i class, there were several levels of ali'i. So it's not like you're just ali'i. You know, there's ni'au pi'o and pi'o and naha and all these, these branches of ali'i. And so even that class was extremely um, regulated. And, and then below them, you had the makainana, or the kahuna, sorry, which were the, the priestly class, right? And then the makainana, which are the commoners. And then the kawa, which were the, the slave uh, caste. And basically the will and the word of the, of the ali'i ruled. And the kapu would evolve over time. Uh, Samuel Kamakao says that under Kamehameha, there was a makahiki circuit of the gods where they would go around collecting taxes for this god and for this god. But those gods had been created under Kamehameha. They, uh, Kamakao says they weren't. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't from the people of old. So you can see how even the religious structure would fluctuate. Before Kamehameha, you would have had different ahupua'a that um, subscribed to different uh, 
elements of the kapu system. I, like we have denominations nowadays, right? And you got Calvinists and Arminians and Baptists and all these things. Well, there was the kapu system and there was this Hawaiian religion. But you had different groups of people that would be drawn to different elements of that system. So maybe in my ahupua'a, we really emphasize the worship of lono. Right? Well, that was, that was very different from Kamehameha who heavily emphasized the worship of Kuka'ilimoku. He was the, the predominant deity in his, in his worship. So as Kamehameha conquers the islands, his form of the Aikapu, his form of, of, of the Kapu's religion is now the ruling authority. Mm-hmm. It's not unlike Constantine and the Holy Roman Empire. Whoever the top dog is, decides mm-hmm. what the people are going to be believing. So not Hawaiians, a lot of Hawaiians weren't happy that their ahupua'a was being taken over by Kamehameha, mm-hmm. and he was a totally different religious radical than, than they may have been, right? Some of these people probably weren't heavily religious at all. If you're in the backwoods, and you, know, you probably just live in your life, right? Well, now there's a new king, and this is what we got to do. Pay the tax and honor the gods and... So, you know, there's a lot, um, yeah. shift, very shifty um, religious climate in Hawaii. And then when the gospel comes, it's, you know, it is the anchor that holds within the veil, right? Yeah. It becomes this um, foundation that we can build our, our faith upon. We don't, it's not fluctuating, different today, different, you know, it's, this is the word of God. And, and the Hawaiian people naturally gravitate towards it. I all you know. Sometimes I get asked the question, "Well, why would the Hawaiians have abandoned thousands of years of belief and then gravitated towards the gospel?" Well, if you were a commoner, it wasn't very nice life for you mm. under the restrictions of the of the Aliyan. Everyone knows the stories. If the shadow falls on you, right, then you're gonna mm. die. Uh, you know all those things. Well, imagine knowing that uh, and. Ali'i, like Ka'ahumanu, should she touch you or come near you or just require your death, then you're dead. But now, freed in Christ, now you, now you can stand in a prayer circle and hold hands with that same Ali'i. And, and, and she's no longer the, the daughter of the kings, but you're also a son and daughter of the king. Like wow. that message would have been absolutely contagious. Wow. My, my father is the Mo'i of all Mo'i. Wow. You know, my, my dad is, is the highest Ali'i. That's something that people would have probably loved to hear. You wow. know? It was very, the, the gospel was liberating for, for Hawaiian people. Yeah. So um, Kamehameha passes away, mm-hmm. and then um, Kaahumanu and Keopalani. Basically, come into power, yeah. Yeah, and, and well, Kaahumanu. Uh, um, how does that? She's work? the Kahina Nui, so she's uh, she's politically very powerful. Um, one as the the wife of Kamehameha, but also as the Hanai mother of Liholiho mm-hmm. and Kuikioli, and so she's her political prowess is very much tied to Liholiho. There's uh, actually a story that when Kamehameha was still alive. He wanted to send Liholiho to America, just like Kaumuali'i had sent Humehume to America. Um, and so he negotiates a deal with Captain Caleb Brintal. You might recognize that name because he's also the captain of the boat that took Opukahaia to, to America. Well, Kamehameha propositions Caleb Brintal to take Liholiho with him as well and have him educated in the mainland. Ka'ahumanu does not like that because if the future king goes away and she's the adopted mother, well, her, her prowess kind of goes with him. And so she does not like the idea, but she also can't refute the word of Kamehameha. So what she does is try to poison the crew oh. of the ship. <laughs> and according to, you know, make uh, what you will of this, but according to, to documented history... Uh, she sends a poison blowfish laulau to Caleb <laughs> Brintal, who doesn't eat it, 
But a crew member on the ship named Mix, his nickname is Mix, he eats it and he dies. Uh, Christopher L. Cook, who's the author of Preparing the Way, uh, um, The Providential Life of Henry Opukahaia, he went to New England and found the headstone of Mix. And it says, poisoned to death by the queen of the Sandwich Islands. Wow. Isn't that amazing? So this is where the plot gets even crazier that... uh, after the death of Mix, they realize they got to get out of Honolulu because Ka'ahumanu is after them. So where do they end up? In Kealakekua, where they pick up Henry Opukahaia and Thomas oh, wow. Hopu. Wow. And then, because they hadn't filled their holes in Honolulu, they had to bail real quick or get killed. Uh, they still need to get more cargo. So from Kealakekua, they go to Kauai, bypassing Honolulu. And there's a sale on Pua'a. So they fill up with a bunch of pigs and cargo. And they also um, pick up Kanui on wow. Kauai. Wow. And then they head um, to America. Interesting. So it's, just, it's amazing how it's all tied together. And then if you've read the memoirs of Thomas Hopu, there's a part where Hopu falls overboard. He says, oh, my captain was sleeping and I fell over. I was washing the dishes. But one of the crew members was on the deck. And I called out to him, Mix, Mix. Oh. That was his, his family member. Oh. That was the family member of the guy that had gotten poisoned, was the friend of Thomas Hopu. Oh. And was also um, in-law of Caleb Brintal. Caleb Brintal was married to the sister. So oh. it's just amazing how everything yeah. was, was intertwined. But there's that, that's the divine aspect of it. You know, had, had they not been chased out of Honolulu, would they have ended up in Kealakekua and would Hopu and Opukahia have been on the ship? Yeah. Would they then have bypassed Honolulu again and picked up another one of the future Hawaiian missionaries? You know, it's just... Wow. So, um, Liho, Liho was very young, right? Very young. Yeah, and so that's why Kahumanu becomes... political power yeah. and kind of power, yeah. Yeah, and she's, um, she's controlling things. Yeah. She's very influential on Liho Liho. Yeah. You know, he, he wasn't really, it wasn't his idea to abandon the Kapu system. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it was I thought, when I read it, it was Kaahumanu and Keopalani. Yeah. Kaahumanu. Kaahumanu Yeah. Kaahumanu yeah. really was much more po- a political force yeah. than Keopalani. Keopalani was a, a spiritual and um, she was just so revered for her mana. Oh. She was much more of a deity. Oh. Uh, and Ka'ahumanu was much more of a, 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 not a politician, but a politically active yeah. monarch. Right? Yeah. So Ka'ahumanu, Keopalani, they, they, or Ka'ahumanu more probably you're saying, they, um, they stopped the Kapu system yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ka'ahumanu, Keopalani, Liholiho, Kalanimoku, and importantly too is Heva Heva. Because Heva Heva is representing um, the priestly class. And he's the high priest. Mm. So you have the ruling ali'i and you have the religious leaders now abandoning the kapu. That's a powerful um, statement. So, so understand that, yeah, you know, in that voyage, all this is going on. The kapu system's done. God's setting the ground yeah. for the missionaries to come and the Hawaiians to come, the Christian Hawaiians. Um, so, like, how... how how did the gospel get out? Like how, you know, who was the first convert or the first ali'i even? Yeah, well, the, the early, uh, many of the first converts were ali'i. And that's because the missionaries were targeting ali'i. That's who their audience was. Not targeting, but that, that's who they were conversing with. So most of the early converts were ali'i, which was a good thing for the mission. Because now you had the most revered people in the kingdom advocating for, for Christ. Um, in my mind, the most influential was Keopuolani, mm-hmm. uh, by far. Just because in the old traditions, she was uh, the most royal, the most revered, the most mana-filled, uh, you know, ali'iwahine that we had in that time. She was like more high-ranking than Kamehameha, more high-ranking than any of the other ali'i. And she was the, um, the last ali'i to have the kapu moi, which is the kapu of the gods. So she was looked at as a god. 
Um, she was one of the ones that nobody could look at. Her shadow couldn't. She, she would rarely go out during the day because she was compassionate and she didn't want her shadow to fall on anybody. So, and if you, if you know the story of, of Kamehameha's unification, he invades Maui, yes, because he wants to conquer the islands, right? But he invades Maui because he wants to have Keopuolani as his wife. Because if he can obtain her mana, now he can actually go on to unify the islands. But without her mana, he's not going to get there. Mm. So he actually invades Kepaniwai and all of that because of Keopuolani. She's a she's a ni'au pio. She's like the highest ranking. And so he needs to have that mana, not necessarily for himself, but to produce high-ranking offspring. That's His legacy is bound up with Keopuolani. He, he has to have children with her, which he does, right? Liholiho, Kawikioli, Nahienaena, they're all the children of Kamehameha and um, Keopuolani. So she is looked at as this just special person this divine uh, human. And so when she says that she's not a god, that there's only one god, and his name is Jehovah, which is what she always called it, Jehovah, that's a powerful statement being made to the people. You know? And then um, she did things like commission the building of uh, Wyola Church. And then she requests that upon her death, she be buried in, in the full sunlight. You don't do that. You don't bury a li'i of her rank in the sunlight. You strip the flesh off of the bones and you bake the bones and you hide that evie somewhere in some cave where no one's ever going to find it, right? Well, she didn't want that. She wanted to be um, buried in a Christian burial. And her monument still stands today. She did those things as a, as a declaration of her new faith in Christ. And she's actually baptized just before her death. Um, not by the American missionaries, but by Tau'a and uh, Reverend William Ellis uh, from the London Missionary Society because Tau'a speaks Olelo Hawaii. So she wants to be baptized in her own language, not by you know, Hiram Bingham or William Richards or the, the other Americans. So... Um, for me, the conversion of Keopulani is uh, the most powerful, most influential statement made by any of the Ali'i. How, do you know how that happened? Or how was it a yeah, she, slow kind of... No, it yeah. wasn't really a slow... See, what, what had happened before the missionaries arrived is that in Tahiti, there's a big revival. The uh, English missionaries have been down there since the early 1800s. And the king of Tahiti, his name is Pomare, he's already converted to Christianity. And he's advocated for the spread of the gospel, and there's a huge revival in Tahiti. And it's interesting how kind of things that happen in Tahiti, then like a little bit later, they happen in Hawaii too. But Keopuolani is related to Pomare, because her line comes back, comes from Tahiti. So there's a whole lot more um, information flowing back and forth between the two kingdoms than we think. Like they had canoes and they had the ability to go back and forth at will. So the, the information about the God of the Bible has kind of trickled into Hawaii already. There's another Tahitian named Toketa who's here in 1818 and he's already talking about Christ and all before um, the missionaries come. So having heard about her cousin Pomare dedicating his kingdom and his life to this new God, Jehovah, I'm sure was influential on Keopolani. Um, and then really just uh, a move of the Holy Spirit for her to willingly abandon her own divine birthright as a God, really, and, and to advocate for the true God and, and the King of Kings is you know, just an amazing thing. How about um, Kahumanu? Kahumanu, yeah. She, she converts to Christianity too, and she... Uh, institutes literacy programs. She lives longer, right, than Keopulani. So she uh, institutes literacy programs and advocates for the spread of the gospel. She sets up the missionaries with places to stay and, and churches to uh, teach at. Uh, so she's a, yeah, she's a big advocate for Christianity as well. And pretty much every single one of the Ali'i do too. 
So Hoapili, Kalani Moku, Kaumuali'i is a devout Christian. All of these guys end up giving their lives to, to Christ. Wow. And how or why? I mean, why? I don't know. Just that's the power of, of, of the cross and, and the gospel message that they just were drawn to it and, and they accepted it. How did that change the, the kingdom then? Everything. I mean, yeah, everything. We, we mentioned how just culturally going from a heavy caste system where you weren't allowed to eat or do certain things to now be liberated in Christ, that would have changed everything for a lot of people. Um, and the way that the kingdom is converted is unique to Hawaii in that the first few years, the main converts are um, the ali'i, but not many more. It's, it, there's not, you know, we read, oh, huge revival, everybody. Yeah, that didn't happen at first. Like the first several years of the mission is pretty, um, you know, slim pickings when it comes to converts. But what they are able to do is um, win the, the ali'i for Christ, and then the ali'i institute the literacy programs. And the vehicle for literacy is the Bible. That's the only, the only book, only textbook that's available is the Bible. And so everybody in the kingdom of Hawaii, 98% of all of its citizens, that means young and old alike, all gain the ability to read and write via the word of God. So what's most interesting in, in the Christianization of Hawaii is that we learned what Christianity looked like directly from the scriptures and not filtered through the lens of missionary bias. Hmm. Any, everywhere else in the world, people learned what Christianity looked like through the missionaries. But those missionaries often were flawed, often culturally ignorant to the, the people that they were visiting or mission, you know, doing the mission to. And so it gets distorted, right? There, there's this weird, like, yeah, Jesus loves you, yeah, but, but, uh, but we have slaves in America, right? Like, love your neighbor as yourself, but white people rule. Like, these things are weird concepts that somehow had worked their way into Christian tradition. Well, Hawaiians weren't getting that because they were just reading the Bible. They were just reading the Bible, and there weren't enough missionaries to go around, right? You're talking, what, like a couple dozen guys? They can't teach a million people how to read and write. But if they distribute the Bible and literacy begins to spread on its own, uh, like I said, the most amazing part about the Christianization of Hawaii is that we learned um, about Christ and what Christianity looked like directly from the scriptures. And that's why later on in the kingdom, um, when many of the self-professing Christians are not acting Christ-like, many of the native Hawaiians look at that and say, no, that's, that's not Christianity. And they begin to question the, the faith of the people that brought the gospel to them, which is amazing. And all the way up until the overthrow, in Lilio Kalani, my, probably my favorite quote, she says, the, the habits and prejudices of the New England Puritanism were not well suited to the genius of a tropical people, nor capable of being thoroughly engrafted upon them. But Christianity, in substance, they have accepted. What she was saying is, yeah, whatever that is, that Puritanism whatever Christian American, no, we don't like that. But Christianity as defined by the scripture, yeah, that's what, that's what we're all about. <laughs> wow. wow. So you don't find many, many um, mission trips where uh, the population is challenging the doctrine of the missionary teachers based on their understanding of scripture. But Keep, hallelujah, right? Yeah, keeping them accountable. Yeah, <laughs> and and later on they do they do gravitate away from yeah. uh, away from American Puritanism and they they become much more Anglican in yeah. in their doctrine and um, many of them become Anglican, flat out Anglican. Mm. And a lot of it was because they um, the ultra five point Calvinist perspective was uh, predestination. They had incorporated well, we're predestined to rule over you uh. too, and so like no, we don't. Yeah. We don't like that. Let's yeah. go. Let's go see what these other guys are saying. So, uh, the Hawaiian Christian theology come time of the overthrow is is heavily Anglican influenced. Mm. So. so, you said the 
the Bible was the textbook. The yep. Bible was um, the only everyone had Bible then. Yeah. Not at first, yeah. but eventually um, Elijah Loomis was printing his brain out. Yeah, let's just, let's talk about Elijah Lewis. So he was one, he was the original print master on the on the mission and everyone knows about the famous printing press in Lahaina, the oldest printing press west of the Rocky Mountains and you know all of those things. And Loomis was pretty much the guy that did all of that. So much so that he gets ink poisoning and he's sent back to Boston because they they don't know what it, the air, maybe it's the weather, I don't know, send you back to Boston. So he becomes the editor-in-chief of a newspaper in Boston for a few years before he returns to, to Hawaii. Wow. Uh, and while he's in Boston, he prints uh, a story about Hawaii in the weekly newspaper, and it's the most popular story. So from there on out, every week he prints a new story about Thomas Hopu, about Opukahaia, about the mission in Hawaii. And so uh, the general population in Boston is pretty well informed about what's happening all the way on the other side of the world. So wow. that was Elijah Loomis. And um, mostly Bibles. And the first, um, non, the first non-biblical text that was printed, we have it. So... Um, this is the first book that was ever printed in Hawaii that was not a Bible or, um, or a, an alphabet or like a church pamphlet. And this is um, the memoirs of Henry Opukahaia in Olelo, Hawaii. So the first book that they printed that wasn't a Bible was the story of Henry. And the reason is because the missionaries knew they had to explain what they were doing there. Why, why are you guys here? Oh, you, we just got on a boat and came here. No, but like, well, here, this is why we're here. Your countrymen came to our country, and God put it on his heart to bring the gospel. And when he died, we fulfilled his dying wishes. So they knew they had to tell the story. So this becomes the first book printed that's not the Bible. So. Wow. There's a picture of Henry in there, too. Wow. Awesome. Is that, go ahead. There's so much. Uh, I know I'm jumping all around, and there, there's so much information that it's uh, almost impossible for us to scratch the surface of, of all this stuff in the time that we have last time and tonight. But. Um, how, what, what are some of the things you brought? I know you pulled something out earlier. You were like, uh, yeah, I got a bunch of stuff. What, what was that rolled up thing? This one? No, the, the one behind. Oh, these? Uh, these are just newspapers from the time of the overthrow. And uh, it's kind of a love-hate relationship with these because, yeah, they're cool and they're old, but they're also completely filled with lies. So... Um, Fake news is not a modern phenomenon. <laughs> but during the time of the overthrow, many of the um, newspapers were owned by uh, annexationists and people that hated the monarchy and hated the Hawaiian kingdom. So if you own the newspaper and you're trying to steal a kingdom, you print newspapers saying how terrible the monarchs are. And um, all of these are basically uh, articles bad-mouthing the queen. You know, she's a all sorts of things they say about the queen. Yeah, absolute propaganda, because if you read the queen's um, own writings or her diary, right? The thing about diaries are, is no one's supposed to read them. So when you, someone does read them, they get a glimpse into what you're really like. Mm. And after reading the queen's diaries, we know she really loved Jesus for real. Mm. And she loved her kingdom, and she didn't hate people for what they had done to her because of the love of Christ inside of her. That's, I mean, I would have been, you know, trying to get every warring canoe in all of Polynesia, not just Hawaii. I would have been calling the Tongans and the Samoans and like, we're going to war with these people. And she didn't do that because she knew it would have probably costed them all their lives. So she loved Jesus and she didn't harbor any, 
I'm sure she had some hard feelings, but she didn't hate her enemies. She tried very much to love her enemies, and her heart is revealed in, in her private diaries. And she says things like, uh, she says, it's a, a gloomy day. It rains, rains, rains. Don't feel like going to church today. Maybe never again. The way these missionaries, in quotation, because she knows they're not missionaries, but they call themselves the missionary party. The way they talk down on me from the pulpit. Is it Christian? In question marks? No. She writes that in her diary. Wow. So what they had done was not only start printing propaganda in the newspaper, but after the provisional government um, sets itself up, uh, they um, absorb all of the kingdom churches and make them government entities. And they put Albert Francis Judd as the superintendent of all of the churches. Well, the very first thing that Judd does is demand that all of the kahu sign and declare an oath of allegiance to the provisional government and against the queen and the monarchy. If you don't do that, your licenses are revoked and you are excommunicated from the church. For many of the kahu, this is their livelihood. They do weddings, they work for the church like many pastors do today. So they weren't just being kicked out of their church, they were being put out on the street simply because they refused to denounce their loyalty to the queen. The best example of, of this is in Waiola, Waina'e Church in Lahaina, um, where Reverend Adam Pali is the kahu, and he's an annexationist. So he swears the oath of allegiance. One of the very few native Hawaiian pastors that swears the oath of allegiance and denounces his allegiance to the queen. Well, his congregation does not like that. Just, I mean, his congregation is filled with, you know, it's, it's Abel Makekao, Ramon Hoi Makekao. Like literally the freedom fighters for the kingdom are just so happen to be in this church. So they're not playing that at all. So they start a church petition and almost unanimously vote out the pastor from Waina'e Church. Well, he cries to Albert Francis Judd and writes a letter and says, hey, my church kicked me out because I swore the oath of allegiance. So Judd comes from Honolulu and excommunicates every member of the church and reinstates Adam Pali. So that next Sunday morning, it's Reverend Pali and his family and Judd. <laughs> and the Hawaiians walk down the street and build another church. And you just see that they, uh, this is what's lost nowadays, is that yes, of course Hawaiians were, were very in love with their kingdom and very patriotic and very passionate for, for their own um, nation, but they never stopped. Uh, they never gave up their faith in Christ. They didn't see um, that you had to make a choice between your Christianity and your patriotism. Mm. They could be fully Christian, fully Hawaiian, and fully support the monarchy at the same time. Mm. Um, Nowadays, the way it's spun is that, well, you can't really be Hawaiian and be Christian. You got to worship Ku if you really want to be Hawaiian. No, you don't. That you can't find a single reference where one of these ali'i is doing that. What you will find is them constantly crying out to Jehovah, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, again and again and again and again. Mm. And um, I'll show you something really cool. Um, where did I put my... So this shout out again to um, Dr. Ron Williams, who uh, has been doing a lot of amazing research. And just like a week ago, he uh, found, so William Charles Dunalilo, who's the first king of Hawaii after the Kamehameha dynasty, uh, the line of Kamehameha's ends, right? He, um, we know very little about him. He, he might be one of the least studied um, kings and so just recently um, Dr. Ron Williams found a poem that uh, Luna Lilo had written in 1847 and it's called the Sandwich Islands now the first part of it is, is very descriptive about the, the islands and it's very long so not very long but long so I won't read it all but I'll jump to this part it says men alone neglected growing yet neglected men no more. Long they lived in rage and malice, long in pagan darkness lay, draining 
Passion's bloody chalice, loving ruins dangerous way. Lo, the monarch's arm uprising, suddenly the islands freed. Oh, that hour that blow surprising, God inspired the wonderful deed. Idols then and mores perished, ceased the halted taboo spell. Oh, if idol sins be cherished, family graven idols fell. Rinse from sloth, ye sunny islands, start from sleep, green Hawaii. Hark to all your vales and highlands, sounds the gospel cry, be free. Haste, O oh haste, to Judah's lion, light your path by God's own word. Sing no song but songs of Zion, trust no God but God the Lord. Lo, the crimson light of morning gleams from eastern skies afar, rinse and catch the glorious dawn, rise and hail Messiah's star. Glorious star, they beauty darting, let the realms from darkness won, light and heavenly hope imparting, see the healing splendorous run. Heart to heart on Calvary's mountain, side by side in Bethlehem's vale, bathing in one crimson fountain, islands brethren, you we hail. Wow. Don't tell me the elite you weren't Christian. I didn't hear, I didn't hear one mention of, of Ku in that poem. Haste, oh haste to Judah's lion. Sing no songs but songs of Zion. That's the part of the history of Hawaii that is not talked about. Mm-hmm. Does that sound like a man that hates Christ? Mm-hmm. Hates Christianity? Absolutely not. I mean, if you've ever written a poem, you pour your heart into it, and it takes time, and it's, it's an artistic expression of what you feel in your soul. And this comes from the king of Hawaii. But now we hear things like you can't be Hawaiian and be Christian. Haste, oh haste to Judah's lion. Really? You couldn't tell that to them. You know, yeah. you couldn't tell them not to be Christian. And so that's, that's the goal of what we do here is just to remind people uh, that our kupuna, our ali'i, they love Jesus. The gospel was as powerful then as it is now. And they chose it for themselves. You can't force a king to write a poem that he doesn't want to write. You can't force Keopuolani to give up her own divine recognition. You can't make her do that. It has to be a choice. Just like Christ remains a choice today. And, And sadly many Hawaiians will not choose Christ because of the story that we've been fed for so long. Nobody's heard that poem. You guys are probably like less than a thousand people on earth have ever heard that poem. And so many people are hesitant to give their lives to Christ because they don't know things that we're finding out now, you know? That it's okay. It's okay to, to be Hawaiian and love Jesus. It was okay for Luna Lilo. It was okay for Keopulani. It was okay for Lilo Kalani. It was okay for nearly every single Hawaiian I can mention from 1820 on. <laughs> you know? But... Yeah, I love, I love that poem. I was just feeling like... I was just worshiping God as you read it. Yeah. yeah. I was very inspired. And oh, yeah. I, I got choked up. And, 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 yeah. and we have the, you know, it's not like this is fake. You know, I don't know. If you guys probably can't see it, but like that's the poem. It's handwritten in the king's penmanship, you know. Like this is, it's real. And a lot of the other stuff we hear is not really real. Like, there's, no, there's no real... Um, Credible evidence to support so much stuff that I grew up with, but then when you you research the Christian side of it, it's like it's undeniable. Like I have a ton of friends that are at the University of Hawaii and are PhDs and smart guys and are non-Christians. 
Man, I bet they probably wish they could find evidence to refute the Christian era of Hawaii, but they just can't. It makes them upset, but they just can't. You know? And I'll, I'll read you this too. One more thing, because we, <laughs> we ran out of time. Okay. Um, hopefully I can find this. Okay. Okay, so this comes from the Constitution of the Kingdom of Hawaii, which was um, 1839-1840. And it's, it's written and drafted under the authority of uh, King Kamehameha III, Kuikiole, who is the son of Keopolani. And at this time, what they call a, um, an absolute monarch. So he's divi- divinely inherited the throne, and it's beyond contestation. Nobody, he, he's an absolute monarch. Nobody but him rules. And as far as we know, he's one of the very few absolute monarchs in history to um, dissolve some of his own ruling authority and, and give it to people in the kingdom rather than just himself. So after his conversion to Christianity and all of those things, this is what the first constitution of the kingdom of Hawaii says. Okay. Um, I'll start with number seven. It says, uh, hang on, maybe I'll read a little bit. So I want to just take it out of context. God has also established government and rule for the purpose of peace. But in making laws for the nation, it is by no means proper to enact laws for the protection of the rulers only without also providing protection for their subjects. Neither is it proper to enact laws to enrich the chiefs only without regard to enriching their subjects. Also and hereafter, there shall be no means by any laws enacted which are at variance with what is above expressed. Neither shall any tax be assessed nor any service or labor required of any man in a manner which is at variance with the above sentiments. It is, I'll skip a little bit, it is our design to regulate our kingdom according to the above principles and thus seek the greatest prosperity both of the chiefs and all the people of these Hawaiian islands. But we are aware that we cannot ourselves alone accomplish such an object. God must be our aid, for it is his province alone to give perfect protection and prosperity. Wherefore, we first present our supplication to him that he will guide us to right measures and sustain us in our work. (laughs) It is therefore our fixed decree that no law shall be enacted which is at variance with the word of the Lord Jehovah or at variance with the general spirit of his word. All the laws of the islands shall be in consistency with the general spirit of God's law. Wow. Wow. So how are we going to govern this country? No legislation that's at variance with the word of God. And if that's not enough, the general spirit of the word, even the spirit, not just the written word, yeah. but if the spirit convicts, then we won't, we won't enact that law either. Because wow. that's written by the king of Hawaii. Wow. Oh yeah, Hawaiians can't be Christians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they said, nothing happens in my kingdom that is at odds with the word of God. That's what he said. That sounds pretty Christian to me. Yeah, very Wow, thank you. I, I feel like how um, how the enemy, the world, can try and cover God in his work and the truth of the scripture in his word and, the, and what really happened, you know, in the islands with Christianity. But you can't. You cannot. It's, it's like leaking through with the light of Christ all over. And, and I just want to say to all of you guys, I think in the same, similar sense, um, that's what the enemy tries to stop us too, in sharing our love and light for Christ. But we can't let it. We've got to let the light of Christ leak out. And just the passion that's in you is, is very um, infectious. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I think it's important to take away, you know, for all of us that, oh, we, we need to have that passion for Christ and for people to know the truth. 
Yeah. And it's all it's all all for the gospel's sake, you know. Amen. It's not it's not about Hawaiian history. It's it's about the gospel. Yeah. And I'm so blessed that the Lord lets me do things that I love, like collect stuff, which I always did and and study history, but all of this is worthless, void of the gospel message. It's just a vehicle. It's yeah. just a vehicle for the gospel. Yeah. yeah. In the end, it's it's what we talk about. It's the power of God to save. You yeah. know, it's bringing that out in what happened yeah. um, in history. Yeah. yeah. And that it could happen today yeah. individually for our lives to know Jesus and be saved and, and have that same love and passion and devotion to Jesus, you know. Yeah, Amen. yeah. That's what really touched touched me with that poem. Is just, and like you were saying, just his is the king's passion for Jesus and his words just draw drew me into worship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, it's gotta be a song. I want I want someone to make. That I know. I was work. just I was thinking about that too. There you go, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, we gotta close up here. I mean, we're late, and um, can you come back again? Yeah, yeah. And what do you guys think? And, you know, I will, because I know, I realize some people uh, might be watching is like, oh, yeah, well, he's only talking about all the good stuff. Yeah, that we, we can share some of the dirt, too. <laughs> As the church, we got to be the first ones to acknowledge our faults and, and, and our yep. shortcomings. We can't pretend like uh, the church is perfect because we know we ain't, but yep. Christ still is. And that's what we're trying to, to show is that the body of Christ, we don't worship the body of Christ. We worship Christ. The church Amen. is flawed. And, and the next time I come... I can show you all the terrible things we did. Okay. And, and, and we, we got to use that type of language. You know, these yeah. aren't, they called themselves Christians. They were baptized. They had faith in Christ and they did some bad things. And, yeah. and we got to, in this day and age, we got to stop pretending like the Christians were perfect and everything we did was great. No, the one thing we did was good. Brought the gospel. Yeah. Pretty much everything else was flawed. Right? And we got to acknowledge that. There yeah. was racism in the church in old Hawaii. Uh, there was major prejudice. Um, uh, people that overthrew the kingdom were Christians. Like all of those things need to be yeah. need to be talked about too. So yeah. I'd happily come back in. Well, and it's good because we we need to learn from that. Too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We need to learn from that and understand. Yeah, it's there, but like the little snippets, like the general little things. There's these awesome though hearts that are there following yeah. christ in a way that we, sh- we should you know be influenced in that way too yeah. and learn from the bad yeah, yeah. yeah. Amen. all right well can you give us um the blessing can you pray and sure. just kind of close this up and um they'll do a short song <laughs> yeah 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 let's pray up. uh father god lord we give you praise and thanks um for all that you are lord and for this time that we've had this evening uh, we pray that in all of this, you be glorified, Lord, and um, your kingdom be furthered and, and your gospel message be proclaimed, Lord. So we thank you for um, the story of Hawaii and how your love uh, and your grace is so evident throughout it. And uh, we pray for the continued story of Hawaii, Lord, that your love and your grace remain the same and, and we uh, cling back to them again. So... We thank you for, um, most of all, Lord, for your son, for the gift of eternal life, for the forgiveness of our sins. Um, We're truly grateful. And Lord, just continue to strengthen us. Help us to represent you well and and do a better job than our predecessors. And may our churches and may our lives look more like you than than Mm. some of the people that came before us, not for our own glory, but for yours, Lord, and help us to to tell the truth and recognize the wrongs and, and repent for the things that we uh, have done wrong. Uh, but in all these things, Lord, may you be glorified and your perfection um, be shown to everyone. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.